Welcome to the Signal Source Podcast. The Signal Source is a leading independent distributor of hazardous location and explosion proof audible and visual signals for commercial, industrial, and marine locations. And with this maiden voyage of this podcast, I want to introduce you to the star of the show, Rhett Day, president of the Signal Source. Rhett and his wife Laura have been in signaling most of their lives and just may be the most experienced signaling duel in the world. So continue listening to hear their story. I was reading through your bio, and you've been in California for a, for quite a while, it seems. Yeah, since uh, 1971. Uh, I was working for Western Electric, just uh, finished a uh, couple years at uh, uh, SUNY New York in Delhi, uh, major in business administration and accounting, and went down to the big city because I grew up in upstate New York in a small town called Sydney. 5,000 people, way more cows in Delaware County than there are people. <laughs> I always wanted to go down to the big city and center of the world was. So I went down there to uh, uh, look for a job, got a job with uh, Western Electric. I lived in Brooklyn, and uh, as luck would have it, I took an aptitude test when I was uh, filling out the application for uh, Western Electric, and I saw I had some education, and at that time, they were just starting up an electronics division. They created an electronic switch, but they didn't have anybody to install them, and Western Electric was responsible for installing all the telephone companies' central uh, office equipment. Uh, New York City had uh, what they called step switches, which were electromechanical switches, just archaic technology. And the system was basically failing with the uh, amount of uh, people, obviously, that live in that metropolitan area. So uh, the electronic switch came into uh, uh, creation about that time, and uh, Western Electric had a, uh, a training school uh, that was put on by ex-electronic uh, engineers uh, from the Navy. They right. sent me to that school, and that's where I learned electronics, which has been my basis for the rest of my career, because everything I do is... is pretty much electronic based, you know. And so I was just blessed with timing to get into that school. And at that time, New York was on a major push to replace their step switches with the very first ESS-1 electronic switch one. And I got to work on that first job. And it was really an incredible experience to learn electronics. So you have been into electronics and switches for 48 years by my count. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of wow. scary. That blows the whole 10,000-hour rule out out the door. That's 423,216 hours uh, since January of 1970. Oh, baby, I'm getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool. So what do you think the biggest thing you've noticed in, in being in that space for that long um, how can you comment on, on how it's changed or what do you think it means to people? It's changed our entire society and, and, the, and the way people live. I mean, technology, I mean, at that time, to go to electronic switch in the telephone business, that was like the creation of the Model T. You know, so it's like, you know, industrialized manufacturing, you know. The neatest, the neatest experience about doing my very first switch there is that uh, the very first switch was actually done in Queens. The supervisor there was... He's been putting in step switches his entire career. He's been working, he worked with Western Electric about 30 years. And we had to put in these equipment bays in electronics. There's earth ground and then there's a logic ground. And they share similar, similar symbols. So this guy insists that we take this logic ground and tie it to earth ground and telling us that the drawings are wrong, you know. 
So I'm trying to answer. They can't just got it. No, the Elijah ground and earth ground are two different things, I guarantee you. And this witch isn't going anyplace if you try to turn this thing on. Anyway, he insisted on it. 78 bays full of electronics gear. The uh, president and vice president of New York Teller there, a regional vice president of Western Electrics there, to uh, inaugurate this first switch going online. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. For the next four days, there was 50 of us in there taking these bays up and insulating logic ground from earth ground. <laughs> and you saw yeah, that coming. But what the hell did I know? You know, I've been working for for three months. <laughs> it's been there for over 30 years. <laughs> so, but so that sounds like you just have you had a natural feel for how those things. Yeah, work. I mean, it was just it. It's really the first thing that really is really interested me, you know. But this was something I really applied myself to because you could see how things work and you could make them work. I love troubleshooting, right? Fixing things electronically, yeah. and uh, and making things work and figuring out what it is that's wrong, and uh, finding a way of getting around it, you know. And uh, electronics gives you that opportunity. And it sounds like that's a lot of what you still do to this day with people um, inquiring about uh, the signaling they want to do. Is that Oh, ab absolutely. I would say about 30% of the customers that we deal with have a vague idea of what they need but don't specifically know, and they rely on us to, to determine that. So the information that we initially get is probably pretty broad. And so little by little, we draw up information about the uh, application of, of their installation and what the hazard is that we have to uh, provide signaling devices for, you know, whether it be gas or dust, and uh, what division is it? Are the devices around ignitable gases and dust all the time, frequently, or sometimes, you know, which would be, which determines what class of device that you put in there. A class one, division two would be a device that from time to time is exposed to combustible product. And they're about half the cost of explosion proof class one, div one devices are because. Class 1 Div 1 devices in the U.S. that are UL listed have to uh, have a pressure test by UL. So so all these devices are typically cast copper-free aluminum and heavy-duty. So just their production method and the materials you have to use between a Class 1 Div 1 and a Class 1 Div 2 are, are entirely different, and, uh, and pricing is as well. So there's a lot of people that don't distinguish between hazardous location. They, they think it's the same as as explosion proof and it can very well be either one you know so a lot of people appreciate the fact that I'll, I will draw that information out of them and if I can provide them a less expensive device that's suitable for the application then they appreciate that but at the same time and they're not going to make any mistakes right they're not going to underserve exactly. the, the, the need exactly which is critical when you're talking emergency right I mean I'd love to sell explosion proof to everybody all the time but you know, at the same time, people come back and rely on us to give good quality device that's suitable for the application. Let's go back to back in time again to where you watch the first switch go, not up, yeah. <laughs> but then finally go up. Yeah. And then it's, what was amazing, the other thing too, is that I had a new supervisor when, the, when we turned it on the second time. <laughs> ah. <laughs> this this, kid, this wow. kid was about 30 years old. <laughs> Uh, but uh, he he was an, an electrical engineer, so he had he had a better grip on it. <laughs> so then we flash forward to what I think is what I read is in 1980, where you actually started A and R systems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, after my Brooklyn experience and and seeing what the center of the world was really like, I fled to uh, California. Okay, that's when you 
That's when you went to yeah, California. Yeah, and, and ended up in Santa Cruz. But Western Electric had brought in installers from all over the country to redo New York City with these electronic switches. I met a couple of the guys, and one of them owned an apartment building in Santa Cruz, California. So I've seen enough of the city. So I got in touch with my college roommate and friend said, hey, you want to move to California? He said, I'm going for it. He, at that time, he was he was doing roofing. So he sold his car and I bought a station wagon and everything we both of them, we filled that station wagon up and came out to California. Actually, it was 1970, October of 1970. No question, Rhett knows his signaling. In our second half, we'll hear Rhett describe how his signaling experience really took off after landing in California. Be sure to visit thesignalsource.com and even chat with Rhett directly with any signaling questions. And now back to Rhett after his cross-country trek to California as he chases his aspirations in a signaling career. From there, I went to work for Western Electric in San Jose that were just starting to do electronic switches. After that, I uh, got a job at uh, UC Santa Cruz that was just opening up electronics maintenance division on their campus. At that time, they were installing an a, uh, energy management system as well as they had 400 buildings with 400 fire alarm control panels. And that's really where I, I entered the fire alarm world was at uh, UC Santa Cruz. I was there for six years, got exposed to energy management, which was becoming a big thing at that time, you know, automating all these air handling units and heating systems uh, remotely with a, with a CPU, a computer-based system. And then uh, in 1980, after doing consulting on the side for contractors that were actually installing the energy management at UC Santa Cruz, uh, had an opportunity to uh, start a business. And that business was A&R Systems. I had a partner, and uh, through all the fire alarm systems that we were putting on the campus, we became good friends with the regional manager of Pyrotronics at that time, which was a premier fire alarm line. It's known as Siemens now. He got us a distributorship to become a Paratronics distributor. And within a couple of years, we were a Gamel distributor. We were an Edwards distributor. I owned that for uh, seven years uh, and then sold it to my partner. While, while I was in that business, you joined these associations. One of them was the California Automatic Fire Alarm Association. And different manufacturer reps are always at these association meetings. And there's one fellow by the name of Hal Light. Uh, who worked for uh, Federal Signal. They were starting up a, a fire alarm division for Federal Signal signaling products. And as you know, Federal Signal's in, uh, located in University Park, Illinois. And hell, when I sold A&R, he goes, hey, I need a rep for the 13 Western states and uh, work on commission and we'll handle all your travel and your expenses. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, I would. Because during those eight years, for seven years that I owned A&R Systems, attended many different, you know, annual meetings and conventions and things like that and, and befriended a number of people in the life safety industry, which is, you know, my world. And uh, so to be able to have a product line and promote it and, and visit my friends that I created over the, those seven years, you know, sounded like a pretty good deal for me. And so that's what I did until uh, 1994. And Federal Signal sold that division to a Harrington Signal. Before they did that, I read that you developed over, is it 50% of their sales yeah, just yeah, for that? Yeah, those, those 13 states, yeah, it was 50% of their, their sales. Yeah. And and I enjoyed it. But when they sold it, that that created an issue. When, when you're a rep, you know, you're just working on commission. If you're a distributor, you're buying from the manufacturer and then, then reselling it, right? The fire alarm group was commission-based, but they also gave us access to the industrial product. Why I was 
repping the fire alarm group, I was selling the industrial product. So when they sold in 87, Federal made me a distributor of the industrial signaling group. As luck would have it, Joe Wilson, uh, who became vice president of that group, we became good friends, and he modified a number of uh, industrial signals to be compatible for the fire alarm market. And so we really uh, we created synchronized strobes, and explosion-proof strobes, class 1, div 2 strobes, NEMA 4X uh, synchronized strobes. And that was when? That- and what, about what that time? started in 94. I met Joe in 98. That's when I started working with Joe. Wilson. Yeah, but a prince of a guy. And he's, he's dearly missed. Uh, Laura, yeah. Laura, uh, as you know, uh, worked with Federal Signal. That's where I met Laura, my wife. Yes, then, in 1993? Yes, yeah. 25 years she's got then uh, in signaling as yes, well. Yes, right, yeah. Yeah. Com- combined, that, that gives you guys about 75 years of experience between the two of you. Yes, it does. <laughs> You're tiring <laughs> me out, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, so that's when I started the signal source, when I became an electrical distributor with my first line was Federal Signal. But uh, since then, we've picked up Edwards Signaling, and we have uh, Arstall, Clifford & Snell, and uh, E2S. E2S is a European Safety Systems, probably the leader of hazardous location and exposure-proof signaling in the fire alarm industry now, even though the rest of the industry hasn't figured it out yet. They are they are way ahead of everybody. And I'm excited with, to work with E2S because they are taking my input in developing products for our industries. Typically, these industrial signaling manufacturers modify an industrial product that makes it compatible with the fire alarm industry. E2S is developing signals for, exclusively for the fire alarm industry and has industrial models as well. So they're going about it. They're, they're dedicated to have a, a deep penetration and dedication to, to the fire alarm signaling, hazard signaling uh, market. And uh, it's a great, great opportunity for me to uh, represent their products and to uh, influence the products product development that that really says a lot if you don't mind i'd like to hear just a little bit more about laura and she's a big part of uh, the scene she is right? yeah she is um, she actually took my when i became a distributor she actually took my my very first order <laughs> that's that's how i met her i met her on the phone <laughs> <laughs> so she was turned on by your electrical no she tried to blow me off actually she she turns to her boss and she goes hey this guy wants to give me an order can we take it oh man <laughs> yeah but she's a superstar so when you call here it isn't like she, she has a doesn't have any background you know she's just not somebody taking taking a call she has a good idea of, of what you're asking about and what you need the background that allows her to be uh, effective is because of her experience and history with, with Federal Signal. Laura started in uh, the shipping department of Federal Signal in 1984, and she was uh, in the shipping department and various other departments uh, from 1984 until 1988. And she was uh, customer service 1988 to 1997, which is uh, when she came to work uh, with the signal source. What do you see the future of signaling is? Do you have any kind of predictions? And I'm, I'm asking this because it sounds like there are probably very few people in the world that have the experience you have. Would that be an accurate um, guesstimate? Yes, as far as the, the total experience, you know. But uh, there's a couple of people that are technically right where they need to be and are going to develop great product from here on out. And they're a hell of a lot younger than I am. And so that I got a lot of hope for what's coming down the line. <laughs> 
Oh, that's really cool. That's that that I mean, that's really cool that you just said that. You're not afraid of of the people coming up, the younger folks. You're actually excited about um, how they're going to help the industry. Oh, yeah. that, that sounds really. Yeah. Cool. It, it's easy. Anything that you do that you love and are committed to, it it becomes very obvious that when you talk to somebody that you maybe may not know if they have a love for your industry or an understanding of it or not, you know. And uh, once you find that camaraderie, uh, you know, you develop a relationship and you pretty much feed off of each other uh, in a technical manner and in a marketing manner. What the market needs, how can we produce it? What doesn't the market have? In what sequence should we develop things? Excellent. Well, I think that sounds really good. I'm looking forward to um, taking this and sharing it with uh, people that know you and people that don't know you yet. So, um, again, I really I love learning more about you. We've been working together for a long time, but um, uh, this was especially nice. Oh, great. I, I enjoyed it too, Gary. I think, I think this is a great experience and look forward to doing more and, uh, on different topics. I, as you, as you yes. know, I got a lot to tell. <laughs> that he does. That was Rhett Day from The Signal Source, and you've been listening to the only podcast dedicated to the signaling industry. Visit thesignalsource.com to chat with Rhett directly, and be sure to scroll all the way down and sign up to receive the Signal Source newsletter and podcast announcements. Thanks for listening to The Signal Source Podcast. 